Yesterday, the 19th of July, 2022, was the 75th anniversary of Martyrs' Day, when, on the 19th of July, 1947, assassins entered the room in the Secretariat where the Governor's Executive Council was meeting and shot dead nine prominent men, including U Sung, the father of Aung San Suu Kyi, and a number of other ethnic leaders who would all have played a prominent role in an independent Burma. I read, as part of that podcast, Chitsu's reading of part of her father's autobiography dealing with Martyr's Day. Today, I thought I'd read in a chapter from Nell Adams' book, My Vanished World, which deals with what happened after Martyr's Day, in her opinion, with respect to the Shan people. It's chapter 16, entitled The End of a Dynasty. In the months following Mother's death, as Father struggled to support us while coping with his own grief, the turmoil in our political life was reflected in the political turmoil. Bai Yoke Aung San had successfully negotiated with the British government and the date for which Burma was to be granted independence was agreed. But at home, trouble was brewing. There were several factions in Burma opposed to Bai Yoke Aung San's increasing power. One of these was led by a man called U Saw. Six months after the Panglong Treaty was signed in July 1947, U Saw's men assassinated Bai Yoke Aung San and six of his colleagues including a Shan leader, the Sorbois of Mong Porn. This was a terrible blow to many, but especially the Shan people. It seemed obvious now that a peaceful union would not be possible, but it was too late and too difficult to dissolve the agreement. The amalgamation of states went ahead and an election was held. The Burmese Socialist Party, with Unu as its leader, was elected to govern the country. After the assassination of Bayogang Sung, Unu, the future Prime Minister, continued talks with the British government. The program of change accelerated and on 4th January 1948, Burma became independent. The Union Jack was lowered and the Burmese flag hoisted. The flag was a red rectangle In the left-hand corner was a large star representing the Union of Burma and encircling it five smaller ones representing the five principal races, the Burmans, Shans, Karens, Chins and Kachins. Unlike India and Pakistan, Burma did not remain in the Commonwealth but withdrew six months after independence. One of the groups most unhappy with the Union and the rate of change was the Karen. After failing to get assistance from the British government to enable them to stay out of the Union of Burma, many of them, including university students, went underground and fought against the government. The fierce fighting, which lasted two to three years, spread throughout the country, including some parts of the Shan state. The Sorbois, as promised in the Panglong Agreement, had become members of Parliament, for the first 10 years of independence, with Unu as Prime Minister and Sao Shui Taik, the Sorbois of Yon Wei, the first President of the Union, Burma was an independent, 
semi-democratic country, but not without problems. After independence, although sceptical, people all over the country were in high spirits and full of hope for themselves and their country, which they hoped would be developed and brought in line with the modern world. The government had retained the British parliamentary system of government, fair trial by jury and fair taxation, and the people were able to enjoy freedom of speech. English was still being used as the primary language in government offices, universities, colleges and some prestigious schools. As education was to be the government's priority, a number of intermediate colleges had been built in all major towns. The universities of Rangoon and Mandalay maintained their high academic standard and postgraduate students were encouraged to apply for scholarships to study abroad. The departmental stores and shops, which could not get hold of foreign goods during the Japanese occupation, had restocked their shelves. There was no sign whatsoever of economic decline. For me, personally, my privileged life continued. The ten years of UNU socialist government seemed to go by very quickly. All but two of those ten years were spent at university, as a student and later as a lecturer. I changed from being a naive teenager to an adult. I made friends with many lecturers and students of various races and nationalities, creed and religion. In this multiracial environment, prejudices and anti-racism were absent. All lecturers and students lived and socialised in harmony with each other. My few encounters with government officials had also been amiable. I won a state scholarship and this was granted to me fairly, through my own merit. I never felt that I was either being favoured or prejudiced against as a result of being a Sorbois daughter. From my own experience, life in Burma at that time was good. The future looked bright, especially for people of my generation. I feel that the Union of Burma, had it been given a chance, would have survived with all the states in the Union and democracy intact. Who knows to what height the different races united together would have risen. We will never know because the union was destroyed. What I do know is that it will be a very long time, if ever, before Burma knows such stability and democracy again. And just a note here, this book was written over 20 years ago. Although UNU was in control, his government was also having trouble with other Burmese political parties led by the communists. In early 1956 and 57, there was a more serious problem for the UNU government. The Chiang Kai-shek's KMT forces, which had been driven out of communist China, were trying to make their way into northern Shan state from Yunnan. There were rumours that, fearing foreign invasion, UNU was willing to let the military take over power for an interim period. Military rule was not what the Sorbois had agreed to, and probably for the first time seriously they considered leaving the Union. By 1958, the Shan state had been in the Union for 10 years, and according to the agreement, they could choose to succeed. In 1960, there was an election, and UNU came back as Prime Minister. Nguyen, having tasted power and riches, however, refused to hand over power to UNU's government. 
Once in power, the main aim of General Ne Win and his dictator colleagues was to prevent the succession of the Shan state, which, for centuries, the Burmans had always wanted to control. The Shans had resisted Burmese domination and had managed to remain independent. Even the British and the Japanese had recognised that under the Sorbwa, the Shan state was as peaceful, stable and united as any country could be. The people were loyal and content, and thus the 33 Sorbwa were allowed to remain rulers of their own country. The Sorbwa could not be given a choice if the Shan state was to be kept under Burmese domination. They had to be removed if the population was to be swayed in favour of staying in the Union. Due to a lot of pressure from the military, the Sorbois relinquished their hereditary rights and transferred their power to the Shan state government. At this stage, the Sorbois were still members of parliament and as such travelled to Rangoon to attend a very important parliamentary meeting which was to be in session on 2nd March 1962. The Burmese military armed forces under General Ne Win, in the early hours of the morning, stormed into each of the MP's residential homes and at gunpoint arrested and put them in prison. These included the President, the Prime Minister and his Cabinet, the Sorbois and many of their relatives. The Sorbois of Sipao disappeared without trace, and a young son of the Sorbois of Yong Hui, the ex-president of the Union of Burma, was gunned down at his house by a Burmese soldier. The 1947 constitution was suspended and parliament dissolved. General Ne Win installed his own 17 members as a revolutionary council and announced that he was leading the country to socialism in the Burmese way. It was rumoured that the original document signed by Yoyok Aung San and the leaders of the hill states, had been destroyed. Burma became a land without a parliamentary democracy, where the rule of force had to be obeyed. General Ne Win quickly sent his armed forces to occupy all the ethnic states. The soldiers ransacked every household in the Shan states and confiscated every weapon. No mercy was shown to anyone who offered any resistance or spoke out against the regime. The Sorbois felt for their people but were helpless and could not protect them. When the Sorbois had signed the Panglong Agreement, they had the people's welfare at heart. They accepted that in a modern world there could be no place for a feudal system of government, however benign, and that it should be changed to a more democratic system. It was in their belief that the change should be gradual. At the time of signing, they could not possibly have known that this, that this would result in their own downfall and leave behind a legacy that would affect not only their descendants, but all the Shan people and their beloved land. They had experienced life under the military regime and quickly came to realise that the signing of the Panglong Agreement had been a great mistake. When they were released from prison in 1968, the Sorbois were not allowed to return to their own states. Many of them died prematurely, and I'm sure of a broken heart. All of the Sorbois are now dead, and the majority of their descendants, having found life in their own land intolerable, have fled the country and are now living and working in the UK, 
USA, Australia, Canada and Thailand. Thus, the Burmese military has succeeded in destroying a whole culture, the Sorbois dynasty. Thank you.